This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Please turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. Revelation chapter 2. The church in Pergamum. This is a letter of Jesus to the church in Pergamum. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this message to the church then and the church today. Help us to listen and to hear, to heed to it and to obey. We praise you together for your grace, your mercy, your understanding. We want to ask you, Lord, to intervene in our lives in the spiritual warfare that we're engaged. For, Lord, there's much against us, and we want to be victors in Christ. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. This series is called Dear Church because it is a series of letters to seven churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. We saw the letter to the church in Ephesus, where Jesus said, you work hard for me, and you hold doctrine strongly and accurately, but I have this against you. You have lost or left your first love. And then his letter to the church at um, Smyrna, he said to that church, I know you're suffering. And he had no correction for that church because he knew how hard it was for them, the hardships they endured, and he gave them words of encouragement. 
Now he comes to the church at Pergamum, the compromising church. But he acknowledges their setting, which is nothing less than where Satan's throne is. Now this is fascinating, and we're going to look at this together. Jesus exposes Satan's throne in Revelation 2, verses 12 to 15. And in doing so, he gives the location of Satan's throne. He gives the significance of Satan's throne. He talks about the temptations from Satan's throne. He speaks about the battle against Satan's throne and the reward to overcome Satan's throne. So these are the five points from our scripture that we'll clearly see as we go verse by verse through this series. The location of Satan's throne. Revelation 2.12. The Lord says, To the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, These are the words of him who has the sharp and double-edged sword. Now, Jesus is telling us where Satan's seat, or the throne of Satan, is. Pergamum. Why is, certain, is Satan's seat in Pergamum? I'll tell you why. Number one, it is the place of pagan worship. And because of it being a central place of pagan worship, they had made a throne for Zeus. Zeus being the king of the mythological gods. And this is what it looks like. That was also what Jesus was referring to as Satan's throne. But it wasn't just Zeus's throne. It was the fact that they had other gods that they were worshiping there in Pergamum. Like, for example, the snake god, who they believed that by drinking a potion that put you in a trance and having snakes crawl over your body, the snakes would uh, diagnose and heal you by giving you a revelation dream of what's wrong with you. They worshipped the goddess Athena and uh, the god Bacchus, which is the god of drunkenness, as well as Zeus. And it's here in Pergamum that they had emperor worship emphasized. So they had uh, a temple to Caesar. Caesar is God, is what they believed and what they upheld. This is why Pergamum was considered Satan's throne. The name Pergamum, or Perga, uh, Pergamos, literally means citadel because it was... Uh, a thousand-foot hill um, from a broad, fertile plain, 20 miles inland from the Aegean Sea. And uh, we get the word parchment from the name Pergamum because it had the second largest library in the ancient world next to Alexandria in Egypt. So it was a place of knowledge, but it was a place of idol worship, and emperor worship. That's why it was considered by Jesus himself Satan's throne, his citadel, his seat of government. 
Revelation 2.13 tells us more about the significance of Satan's throne from our Lord's perspective. He says to the church at Pergamum, I know where you live. Let's just stop there for a moment and thank Jesus that he knows our address. He knows where we live. He knows where we're at. He knows what we're going through. Just like he knew that Smyrna was going through suffering and hardship, and just as he knew Ephesus was going through the motions without the motive of love, he knows exactly where we are spiritually. I know where you're at. I know where you live. Now here he's giving credit to the church at Pergamum because he says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. There's a bastion or a stronghold of spiritual, supernatural, evil forces working overtime in that particular city. And Jesus is giving credit to the church at Pergamum by saying, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas. Now this is very important, because in the day you had to say, Caesar is God. And if you didn't say Caesar is God, then you could be put to death. Antipas did not proclaim Caesar as God. And legend has it <clears throat> that he was placed in a brazen bull on the throne of Satan, the throne of Zeus, and the brazen serpent was heated up by wood underneath it, and he basically was fried to death. A terrible way to die, but he would not deny his Lord. To say that the emperor was God would be to deny Christ, and the church at Pergamum did not deny their Lord, and he knew it. He acknowledged it. Against all odds, against all the spiritual forces working against you, I commend you that you have remained true, that you have not renounced your faith in me, even when you could have been put to death like Antipas, my faithful witness. The Lord has a tender spot in his heart for martyrs, those who are a witness unto death. He calls him my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Twice, Jesus emphasizes that Satan is alive and well in Pergamum. Someone once asked me, <clears throat> why would Satan put more of his assets in Chico than in any other place? And I was thrown aback by that question. Wait a second. What I think I hear you saying is, Satan may be working overtime in the city of Chico. Why? Because the spiritual potential of what God wants to do for the kingdom from believers in Chico is great. And therefore, he's mounting up more forces, more demons, and more attacks here in this city to try to keep this city from shining 
for the Lord to keep the believers from having the impact that we could have for him. We're in spiritual warfare. We need to acknowledge that there is a devil, there are demons, and their goal is to distract us and, if possible, try to derail us from God's mission of seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And I hope and pray that he could say to our church, yet you remain true to my name, you did not renounce the faith, even when you saw people dying for it. If our faith is not worth dying for, it's not worth living for. We serve a living Savior who is the Lord of all, Jesus Christ. And we are to remain true to him. Now, here's how the devil works. The temptations from Satan's throne are multitudinous and so deceptive. Jesus puts his finger right on it. He says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you to the Christians there at Pergamum and to us today. And the things he has to say to Pergamum is you're compromising. You're tolerating evil. You are going along with worldliness. You are indulging in things of the flesh that are ruining your witness for me. That's what he's saying. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, and he lines them out. There are some of you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. You see, King Balak wanted Israel destroyed, and he went to Balaam, who was a prophet, and said, how can I do this? And Balaam says, I know how you can do it. The Israeli force has been away from their family for a long time, and let's send some foreign women over there to tempt them uh, so they have sex with them, and then they'll compromise and intermarry, and we've got them right where we want them. And so Balaam was nothing but a conniving, compromising traitor who uh, played into Balak's scheme to try to cause Israel's downfall, and don't have anything to do with that. In other words, beware of compromise. Don't hold to the teaching that says, I'm in it for the blessing no matter what the cost. Because Balaam was, was paid to curse Israel. And three times he was placed in a place where he could see from a, a mountaintop all of Israel, and he could have cursed them, but every time he opened his mouth to curse them, God opened his mouth and blessed them. He was in it for the money. Don't live your faith for prosperity. Live your faith for the Lord. So money can get you, and um, sex or lust can get you, and idols can get you. When you have something that takes the place of God in your heart, that is an idol. And that idol gets your worship, your devotion, instead of Jesus. And Jesus says, I am correcting you out of love. I'm carefronting you right now and saying, don't let Satan's temptations that are coming straight from the pit of hell distract you and derail you from following me, 
from worshiping me, from loving me, from serving me, from being a witness for me. And he goes on to say, likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, this is mentioned in the church there in Ephesus. At Ephesus, they wouldn't tolerate the teaching of the Nicolaitans, and Jesus commended that, commended them for that. Here in Pergamum, they're compromising because they let it slide. They let this false teaching infiltrate their mix. Let me try to tell you this. We don't know exactly what the teaching of the Nicolaitans was. Some suppose that it was a teaching that some are better than others. Like you have clergy and you have laity. Clergy is better, laity not so much. Some people are better than others. Remember that. Remember that. Because these lies that other people are superior are coming from the pit of hell. They're coming from the throne of Satan, from Satan's seat. Did you know that the throne of Zeus, also what Jesus calls the throne of Satan, was disassembled there in Pergamum and moved piece by piece to Berlin, Germany in the 1930s and placed in a museum. And you can go there to this day and visit what Jesus calls the throne of Satan. Now, why is that significant? Because Adolf Hitler asked his chief architect, Speer, to design for him a place that he could have all of his troops come to at night. And that has a striking resemblance to the throne of Satan. And Hitler taught that there was a superior race. Sound familiar? Sounds like the teaching of the Nicolaitans to me. And on the basis of there being a superior race, it's justifiable to eliminate six million Jews in gas chambers. Straight from the pit of hell. Straight from Satan's throne. Adolf Hitler was nothing but a type or kind or example of the coming Antichrist. He wanted the worship. Heil Hitler. He wanted the control to take over the world. He wanted to eliminate everybody else and talk about a superior race. He was inspired by the devil himself. There's one coming, like Adolf Hitler, who will have world power and dominion and will eventually insist on being worshipped and that's all mentioned in the book of Revelation, of which this is just the start as we look at these letters. Fascinating. Jesus goes on in the battle against Satan's throne in Revelation 2, 14 to 15. He says, how can you win this battle? Repent. Repent, therefore. Because you have compromised, because you have allowed worldliness and the occult and a satanic influence in your church. Change your mind. Call sin, sin, and holiness, holiness. 
turn around, do a 180 degree turn. Repent, therefore. You see, our weapons, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5, are not the weapons of this world. We're not Rambos with uh, machine guns and, and hand grenades. Our spiritual weapons are repentance. When we turn from our evil ways, when we return to God, the enemy is defeated. Have you given an inch to the evil one? If you give an inch to him, he thinks he's a ruler. That was a play on words. If you give an inch to the devil, he thinks he's a ruler. You see, what happens is he tries to get a toehold into your life. He tries to get a toehold into your life. Then he tries to get a foothold into your life. Then he tries to get a stronghold into your life. Then he tries to get a stranglehold into your life. And the only way to defeat the devil is to repent, is to say, Father, I have sinned. I have trafficked in things that are dishonoring to you, that are disobedient to you, and I repent. I confess agreeing with you about my sin. I turn from my sin, and I ask you to fill me by your Holy Spirit. In that place especially, I return to you. I want to live for you. My friends, as I have been praying and thinking over these messages, a growing conviction has been welling up with, with me, within me. We are not talking about what's to come in the future. We're talking about what's happening right now. We are in the last of the last days. The weird is getting weirder. Evil is getting worse. And the people that you think could never fall or, or fail or be fake are letting us down. We are in the last of the last days. And the message to our Lord, from our Lord today is what we need. There's some repenting we've got to do. There's some things we've got to acknowledge are just plain wrong. And they have no place in a Christian's life, no place in a church. Let us listen to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Otherwise, Jesus makes this threat. I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Either you repent and take a stand against evil, or I'll come and do it myself. Remember how he revealed himself to the church at Pergamum? As the one that has the double-edged sword. What is the double-edged sword? It's the word of God. Jesus is the word of God, and he's going to fight the false teachers with the word of God he will deal with them, but he expects us to deal with them first. He expects, up, expects us to stand up, stand up for Jesus and say no to false teaching, to say no to worldliness, to say no to the occult and anything that smacks of it, to say no to idol worship, to say no to immorality. He wants us to stand up by faith in him, by his grace, in the power of his Holy Spirit, and say, no, no more. We will not tolerate this. We will not compromise. We will live for the Lord and remain true to him. 
And when we do that, he gives us a promise. The reward to overcome Satan's throne is this. Revelation 2, 14 and 15. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone and a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Jesus promises reward for your faithfulness. He promises reward for your desire to be integrous and not to compromise. And that reward, the hidden manna in the Ark of the Covenant, it was commanded to put some manna in the Ark. That was the miraculous food that God provided for the Israelites when they were wandering in the wilderness. God saying, when you get to heaven, I've got some special food for you. If you like food, and many of us have a favorite dessert, it will pale in significance to the spread the Lord has for those who are victorious. And he's going to give us a white stone. White because of the purity that he has worked out in our hearts and lives. Yes, we fail. Yes, we fall. Yes, we falter. But praise God, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Though your sins be like scarlet, they can be as white as snow. You can be as white as snow. White. A white stone will be given to you because you've been made pure and like Christ. When we see him, we shall be like him. And we're going to get a new name. Some of you have nicknames. And when they call you by your nickname, you just light up because that nickname kind of captures your soul, who you really are. Well, that's nothing compared to the new name that Jesus has for you. When he met Peter, Peter's name was Simon. And he said, your name is going to be Peter, which means rock. That was a great encouragement to Peter because that was who God made him to be, to be a rock, a solid, um, dependable person rather than in the flesh, one who could deny his Lord and cowardly run away. God has a secret name for you. I was in a secret society of campers and Boy Scouts called Order of the Arrow. And at the, if you make it to vigil, which is the highest honor, they give you a special name. I was so excited because I was going to find out what my special name was. And it's a Native American name. And it's translated for you. And I was like, what is it? What is it? And my secret name was Tall One. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, when Jesus gives you your secret name, it's going to be much more meaningful than a physical description of your height. It'll mean a lot to you. You know, when I look at my daughter, who's now 33, and I say, Precious, she lights up. Because that's my nickname for Laura, my precious. She's precious to me. The Lord has a name for you, and he's going to reward you for all eternity for your faithfulness. Don't give up. Don't give in. 
Remember, whatever you do for the Lord is not in vain. He will reward you. Keep loving him. Keep serving him. Stay true to the word of God. Because in the last of the last days, there's going to be the falling away of many through compromise and coldness and chasing after the things of this world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are sobered by this very serious message. We thank you that you open our eyes to the fact that we are in spiritual warfare, these are the last of the last days, and that we are to remain true to you and not to compromise, not to allow or permit or tolerate evil in our lives or in your church. Please, Father, continue to work by your Holy Spirit to point out the things lovingly in our lives and in the church that need correcting and help us to have the courage and the faith to choose you over any of those things. We love you, Lord, and we want to live for you. We want to honor you. We want to be a witness for you. Forgive us for the ways that we have um, sullied our white clothing by trafficking in the things of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Lord, we repent. We turn from it. We call sin, sin, and holiness, holiness. Revive us again, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.